bestie. Welcome or welcome back to the Bold and Badass podcast. I'm your host, Lacey, and I'm fired up that you're here because I am so tired of women feeling inadequate for not being further along in life and like they're crazy or ungrateful even for wanting more. On this show, I'm going to help you cut through the noise, turn your setbacks into your success story, and become the most bold and badass version of you. I'm talking about calling in the most exciting opportunities, experiences, and people into your life and claiming the abundance that is your birthright. So if you're ready to make some serious magic happen, grab your coffee and water and let's fucking go. Hey, beautiful. I'm so excited that you're here for this episode because I got to interview one of my personal mentors, master NLP practitioner and peak performance coach, Peter Shaw. Okay, this guy has coached some of the top high-level athletes, CEOs, entrepreneurs, but what makes this episode so special for me is that I attribute a lot of my success and healing to this man. And let me just give you some context. So about four years ago, I signed up for a business coaching program so that I could have some business foundations for my coaching business when I started coaching women in health and wellness. And he was an added perk to that program. He was our mindset coach throughout that program. And he really changed my world and changed my thinking so much so that I continued paying this man to work with him on a closer setting for an entire year to follow. So a lot of the healing and transformation I've cultivated in my life, it all rooted with our paths crossing. So that's why this is so special and so important to me. And he's just changed my life in a lot of ways. I can truly say that I don't know where I would be today if I never learned the things that I learned from this person. And so I'm really grateful that I got to do this episode, this interview and this episode with him. And I think there's a lot of great nuggets from it, and I think you're going to love it. So thank you so much again for being here. I'm really excited for you to dive into this. All right, Peter, I am so grateful to have you here today, all the way from Sydney, Australia. I think you're 17 hours ahead. What You said it was 8 a.m. there? Oh, we're way ahead. Uh, oh. You guys are like 20 years behind, not yeah, 17 literally. hours. literally. 20 years. <laughs> Honestly, I'm starting to believe that, but we're not going to go off on that. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm so grateful that you cleared your morning to be here for this. This is really cool for me. So to kick things off, I'd love for you to give a personal introduction of yourself. Tell us about your story, your background, where you're from, what you currently do, that kind of thing. All right. So set aside the next three hours, dear listener. Uh, it's always strange introducing uh, yourself because there's more than you could ever fit in. And I I actually believe that if someone can introduce themselves succinctly, that they're probably quite boring. They're like, hi, I'm Jeff. I'm an accountant. This is my family. The end. Fuck off, Jeff. (laughs) You you boring person. Uh, So... You know, it's weird when people define themselves by their job, and I never do that. But I guess that's what you're asking me to do here. So I grew up in Australia, and Mm -hmm. uh, I had, uh, you know, what was considered at the time sort of a a normal, idyllic sort of Australian upbringing. We played outside, we're into sports and life. And there were a couple of key differences, though. My family had chosen to throw the TV out. So when I was born, I'm the eldest of three boys. When I was born, my my parents just threw the TV out. And so we didn't have one when we were growing up. So I grew up playing outside and reading books. And that paid huge dividends later on in life. It did not make me the coolest person in high school. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And so... I went and everyone thought that I was really smart. And so I developed these beliefs like, hey, I am smart because I could pass all of the tests. I found out later, I I went to university and then I quit university because it was a a little bit dull. I I was studying mechanical engineering and management at the University of Sydney. And I was passing exams that I hadn't even been to the classes for. And I thought that was a little bit silly. So I quit 
university and started to look into other things. And my first real love was accelerated learning because I was trying to answer this question, like, hey, what's the difference that makes a difference? Like, why am I, uh, how am I able to process information like yeah. this? And it was awfully humbling because my beliefs are like, I'm smart and I'm smarter than this other person yeah. and other people's beliefs that they get like, hey, I'm no good at math or I'm not good at words or yeah. uh, even some of the deeper beliefs like I'm dyslexic or I can't process information. And it's been hugely popularized at the moment. Hey, hey I'm neurospicy or neurodivergent. Uh, and yeah. there's nothing necessarily wrong with giving yourself one or two labels except if they become a limitation. Yes. So if someone says I'm neurodivergent, and then they use that as a springboard, a platform to go and explore the world mm -hmm. in new and exciting ways, then that gets a thumbs up. If someone says I'm neurodivergent, so I can't process information like that, that is a limitation that gets yes. a thumbs down, right? So coming out of my schooling, I had developed these beliefs like, hey, I'm smart. I, I'll give anything a go. They were very healthy beliefs in terms of, of learning. But then the second I got into accelerated learning, I, I discovered that I wasn't smarter than anyone else. It was devastating. It was just that the school system was purpose-built for me. Mm. And my friends who were struggling, they just learn in a different way that yeah. was not supported. And so that was an awful shock to me. I'm like, oh, great. Like, <laughs> uh, I thought I was smart. And now I just figured out, oh, no, it was just... I was in the right system. Yeah. If you write any information on a piece of paper, I can remember every bit of that, which is great for passing tests, but not necessarily good for life, actually, because the person who learns by doing things, they actually, as long as they didn't develop limitations or limiting beliefs, mm -hmm. they can go a lot further because as they do things, they build up this experience yeah. of life and they turn out to be much more capable than the person who can just pass an exam. Yes. So I started to figure all of this out and I was fascinated by this question, like what's the difference that makes a difference? And that started with accelerated learning and then expanded out to coaching and hypnosis and neuro-linguistic programming and by the way, I'm 20 years old by this bit of the, the story where I've quit university. I'm now into everything weird. And, <laughs> uh, Quote, unquote. And yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, I think it's dumb. I think it's really cool. I wish I was now, in stuff now at that school, right? But like <laughs> this was 2002 and the internet had only just started for crying out loud okay. like it, <laughs> being being like weird like this wasn't necessarily it, was, it certainly wasn't cool but it wasn't understood in, in any way shape yeah, or form so i was diving on old russian textbooks about <laughs> accelerated learning from the 1970s like post cold war russia where they're experimenting on people to see if they can learn a language while they sleep like that was what I was interested in. And then that developed into a fascination in people and what's the difference that makes a difference. And then when I discovered that you could change your beliefs, that you could clear out emotional baggage from the, the past, that you could let go of uh, limiting beliefs and negative emotions that were holding a person back, that you could tidy up and integrate inner conflicts then I started to look at the world very differently and I started to help people with that. And I became very talented in my early 20s at if a person told me their life story, I could see the structure that they were running, the wiring, if you like. Yes. And like a bomb technician, knowing which wire to cut was what I was very good at. And yeah. so a lot of people like in Australia and in America, we've got classic limiting beliefs like I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy. Yeah. They come from an achievement driven society where you're constantly told, hey, better yourself, get ahead, keep up with the Joneses, get that promotion, go for it. 
unfortunately, the downside of that society is that people develop these beliefs. I can't compete. I don't deserve it. I'm not enough. And so I got very good at pinpointing what each person's limitations were and getting into their subconscious, <laughs> snipping that wire. And here's the difference. When a person goes for professional help, and maybe they go to a counselor or a therapist or a psychologist or a psychiatrist, if that person takes a detailed personal history and lists out all of the things, if they see that those beliefs and those coping mechanisms are baked into the person, then the only option is to try and help that person cope with how that is. Right, right. But, but for me, when I'm snipping that wire, that problem now doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. That program doesn't run anymore. And yeah. so if we can find, if a person's got deep and heavy anxiety, if we can find the basis of that and snip that wire, we don't have to teach them how to cope with their anxiety. They just wake up the next day and that program doesn't run anymore. Yeah. Right now, it's a little bit more complicated than that because we have to probably snip a couple of wires. Of course. Put in, put in <laughs> uh, of new ones. Of course. But, it, but when that program doesn't run that way anymore, you don't have to, like, you don't need a breathing technique to help with your anxiety if your anxiety yeah. doesn't fire because you're viewing the world through a completely different lens. And so I, I was hooked straight away. I was 21, 22 years old and just fascinated by seeing people as systems and seeing how they were put to, together. And that's been my, my work ever since, uh, 21 years now. That's amazing. And I feel like you did such a great job explaining all of that in a really practical manner that anyone who's not in this world could understand. And again, I know that these labels and these limited views of you don't describe the full picture, but you have been practicing NLP for some time now. You're a master level practitioner. So just for people who might have never heard of this term before, can you give a quick explanation? What is NLP exactly? And again, you just gave the the full description of what that does and what that helps with, but can you yeah. give like the short version just so that we can yeah. put a name to it? Neuro-linguistic programming, the language of the mind, it's it's an interesting industry because it only started in the 1970s where the, the phrase was coined or NLP was invented. And then there were some very early adopters yes. of neurolinguistic programming. And you would know some of them, like Tony Robbins was in those early yes. classes. A friend of mine, John Martini, was in okay. those early classes. Sorry, Dr. John Martin <laughs> was in those early classes. And a lot of those early classes were super hardcore. If I was weird for getting into personal development in the early 2000s, imagine the kind of whack job that gets into it yeah. in the 1970s. Right? Yeah. And I don't think those guys would mind me saying that because it took something to yeah. be like that plugged in. But they went and did these crazy trainings like lock the door, no, you can't have a bathroom break kind of trainings. There was an intensity yeah. there early, which obviously doesn't suit everyone. And over right. the years, and the reason I've mentioned Tony Robbins is come the 1980s and the 1990s, he really popularized the entire industry of Definitely. personal development. But he never really told anyone he was doing NLP. But all of right. his courses all of his trainings are it based off that. And he rebranded it to some other bunch of three letters, which oh, exactly. had a pro and a con. Mm -hmm. The pro was that it now reached many more people, mm -hmm. right? And so you now had an industry that was actually growing and people were interested in like, hey, how do I program myself and how can I get in state and, and all of that type of thing. The con was that as it gets popularized, it gets diluted down. Mm. And so, like, when I did the, the trainings in the early 2000s, these trainings still had an intensity. There was still a hardcore, real oomph to it. Like, yes. you knew you were in session. And it was weird and wonderful, and the trainings were long and intense. 
And then the industry took a left turn that uh, we can't take back. But uh, <laughs> as you probably already know, I'm not a not the hugest fan of, but it got caught up. Personal development got caught up in this sort of get rich quick yes. and hey, become wealthy and everyone's a $500 an hour coach yeah. kind of vibe, right? Yes. And then life coaches just started exploding everywhere. Manifestation and coaches, all of them. Everything. And, and so what happened was the purity of the information went down, but the reach went further. And so if you are interested in neurolinguistic programming, you want some of that original shit. Yeah. Uh, and so, yes, you probably get an ad on your Instagram. Like I saw one the other day, like, hey, get certified in NLP for $7. <laughs> and that person <laughs> who's running that course can just fuck right off out of my world. Uh, we don't need this diluted shit right. because it ends up being hypey. It yes. ends up being like, yeah, 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 rah, 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 rah. And then people's lives don't actually change because you never got the intensity required to get down, find those wires, and then very neatly snip those mm -hmm. wires very neatly and carefully you can only do that if you bring the person to the boil yeah uh and so that doesn't necessarily always happen it can by the way but it doesn't necessarily always happen if you go to your counseling session and you feel safe and calm and it's reliable you go there every week for the same thing you sit in a comfy couch and then you talk about the problem. You, you're skimming the surface there. Yes. Right? Yeah. And there needs to be some intensity to break through that. And my suggestion is that you go and you do that for yourself. Yeah. And this is where the scary and exciting philosophy came from. Hmm. Right? Every single person is walking around. They've got their comfort zone. Yeah. And it's layered like the outside of your comfort zone has all of your beliefs and your values. But yeah. it also includes your very deep beliefs that you don't even realize you have. Like if you grew up in America, you have certain beliefs and a certain way of viewing the world that is a comfort zone. It's a limitation. If you grew up in Australia, same thing. If you grew up in India, same thing, yeah. but different flavors. Yes. Okay. And so what you want to deliberately do for yourself is step outside that comfort zone so convincingly that it breaks and you can mm. never go back. And the formula for doing that is if it's scary and exciting, do it. Yeah. If something's scary, it means you're stepping outside of your boundary conditions. But we don't want to just do scary shit. Like it's scary to jump out of a plane without a parachute. Yeah. And it's not necessarily that smart. Right. So it's got to be scary and exciting. Yes. Like jumping out of a plane with a parachute is both scary and exciting because you probably get to live and you broke through yes. your previous things. And your previous thing is, oh, my God, I could never do that in a million years. I'm scared of heights. I would uh, never do that. How could I trust other people? Blah, 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 right. blah. And all those reasons and excuses, they're all the limitations. Mm hmm so now you want to deliberately go through your own life and you make a big old list of what am I scared of? And then you pick something off the list, you lock it in so that it cannot move. And then you will run smack bang into your limitations yes. like a second later. If you are a normal person, you're probably scared of heights, scared of Australian animals like snakes and spiders, <laughs> probably scared all of, accurate <laughs> uh, probably scared of, of public speaking scared mm -hmm. of being put on the spot scared of uh, like how you your body looks all of these things you write them all down there's a big old list and then you can just like the best personal development is just to pick something off that list lock it in run straight into your boundary conditions mm -hmm. and that brings that issue up now we've got, we don't have surface level anymore. We went and found the the good stuff that was yeah. buried inside. Because mm -hmm. if you're just living your normal life, you pad out your comfort zone. Your body represses your limiting beliefs and your emotions so that you don't feel them. It hides them from view. 
if you deliberately go and step outside your comfort zone, it gets lit up. Now, there's two levels to this philosophy. Level one, entry level that anyone can do is go and make your scary and exciting list, pick something off that list, lock it in. And then the second you lock it in, all your shit will come up to the surface. (laughs) Immediately. And then basically, yeah, immediately. And then basically keep going. You're like, I am on track. I'm going to do this. And so an example might be that a person, they go, I'm terrified of public speaking. Mm -hmm. And so they arrange to enter a stand-up comedy festival or to read their poetry out loud. They call the poetry place and they say, hey, a month from now, I want to do two minutes on stage or they book a public speaking training or maybe it happens to you. You get asked to MC your friend's wedding mm. or be the, the bridesmaid or the groomsman and you have to make a, a speech, yes. right? You, sometimes life does it for you and you run into those boundaries. They come up yeah. and now your job is to go, okay, let's, let's hit this up. And you practice and you get coaching and you uh, get help and, and support. That's level one. You Mm -hmm. just chip away at that until it doesn't exist anymore. And within a month, within a year, I don't care how long it takes for you to get good at public speaking. The second you're good at it, your world has changed forever. Exactly. You can never be the same person ever again Uh once you conquer that. And that's super powerful. And just imagine you just did a couple of scary and exciting things a year. Right. Five years from now, you wouldn't even recognize yourself. And other people are like, oh, my God, you are such a boss. You are dominating life. Like nothing scares you. And you're like, well, hang on a second. This was really difficult. I really put in a lot of uh, effort to uh, to do that. Making things deliberately hard makes the rest of your life pretty easy. It also just builds a level of confidence, you know, within yourself to do hard things, to do things that, again, you were once scared of and and maybe thought you weren't capable of doing. And then that builds going forwards because the next time you're going to challenge yourself, you've got a little bit of, I can do this. Yes. The second level of this is my favorite, which is that when you go in and maybe you've got some NLP training or you've got some way of changing your beliefs, which might be that you get someone, a coach or or something that can help you change your your beliefs, or you've studied it yourself and you know uh, how to do it. And so then this level two is extraordinary because you, from your comfort zone, you write out your list of what's scary and exciting. You Mm -hmm. pick something, then the same beginning happens. You lock it in, all of your fears come up to the surface, but now you can see them. And using the techniques, you know, you can just snip the wires, right? And so you move the boundaries before you go and do the thing. Now that is living. That's really cool. I love the whole scary and exciting concept idea. And I've used it a lot in my life, actually. (laughs) Since you first first came (laughs) into my world, I think like three or four years ago. And one of my personal philosophies that kind of is linear with that is I believe that what you do every day matters more than what you do once in a while. And it's the small daily habits when you do them consistently, that they make bigger changes than any big bouts of intensity or motivation can. And so I've been watching your year of fear challenge on Instagram that coupled with another girl's year of confidence challenge inspired this own challenge that I'm doing with myself that I titled the 365 degree transformation challenge. And so for me, it's basically the idea that what you do every day matters more than what you do once in a while. And it's making that one degree shift every single day to become one degree better for 365 days. So that's where the name comes from. I've been doing this on TikTok, and I just saw recently in your fear challenge that you want to run a marathon. And to me, to someone who enjoys running, that's like, woo, awesome. Like that's super cool. But then when I found out that you actually hate running and you're not someone, you know, prior to now, maybe that consider yourself a runner, that's a pretty big thing. Cause as someone who loves running, 
my first half marathon was pretty freaking hard <laughs> and and I love running like it was fulfilling for yeah. me but it was very hard so this whole idea of how you did that how you've been overcoming or rewiring this belief that you're not a runner that you don't like this you suck at it I want to break down, this is what I really want to talk about on this episode. I want to break down kind of the transformation that you made and the steps on how you did that and how you went from non-runner, hate running. And we're using this as an example, but this applies to so many things, so many goals and areas of life. But I just want to go through each of the steps. First, how did you even come up with this challenge? And then let's break down kind of the steps you went through. Yeah. So the year of fear came about because when I was... 25 Mm. the scary and exciting philosophy was developing and i had realized wait if i just step outside my comfort zone and grow it then i I get to own that bigger comfort zone and all the rewards and goodies come with that and so i was like wait if i just want to hack life i can just light up my biggest fears approach them in a way here's the key you've got to lock them in and approach them in a way that your comfort zone doesn't go back afterwards so when most people go skydiving for example mm-hmm. they sign up for skydiving which is outside their comfort zone right and then for a week they're like oh my god oh my god oh my god oh my god and they go there on the day and the person hypes them up yeah and goes i can't believe you do it they're like i can't believe i'm going to do it either and then they go up And they're outside their comfort zone to their credits, right? Except it's on this hype. It's on adrenaline. It's on hype. It's on adrenaline. They jump out of the plane and then they, they come down. And then a week later, they've managed to go back. So basically they huffed and they puffed, got outside their comfort zone, but they didn't own it yeah and so then they shrink back and they don't get to keep the gains now for some people accidentally that comfort zone breaks and they get the gains but what i'm saying is deliberately do it so when i went skydiving when i was 25 for the first time because i was so scared no one's been so scared of heights ever before in the history uh, of the the world i was terrified and but i figured out if I go and face this fear, then my whole world opens up. But instead of signing up to skydiving, it was a little different. I said, I am going to go skydiving until I don't give a shit anymore. Mm. Now, that's a very different approach where I'm like, okay, I'm going to break this open. Yeah. I don't care how long it takes, right? And with that attitude, it's, of course, much easier to break it and, and keep the, the that's goodies. That's amazing. So when I was 25, I I did skydiving, public speaking, and I went uh, traveling for the first time. And these three things were so vast. And I approached them with this, I'm going to do it until. Like if you approach public speaking with, I don't care how long this takes, but I am going to be the absolute boss of this. It opens up a whole world. Yeah, And so I'd done that and several other things around that 24, 25 mark. And my life just became glorious and easy and wonderful. And like, I was living the dream Yeah, and I topped it up every so often, but 17 years later, I was 40 or 41. And I was like, let's test this out at some new level. Because I was enjoying my life, but I was like, what else is there? And so that's where the year of fear came from. I'm like, no, let's hit up every other thing. So cool. Um, cool. (laughs) And so on my birthday, I I flew myself to New Zealand and I went bungee jumping. Mm. But I didn't go once. I went three times because I'm like, I'm not there to go outside my comfort zone and then back in. I'm going to become the type of person that can do this anywhere, anytime. And my rule was if someone goes, hey, do you want to go bungee jumping today? I'm like, yeah, sure. Like it's not a thing. Yeah. I'm not worried about it. I'm not thinking about it. Like there's no comfort zone left. So I then did bungee jumping. I flew myself to Moab, Utah to go tandem base jumping, which I felt like was some next what is that? level. It, jumping off a cliff. Oh, and, God. <laughs> and like normally for base jumping, you need to be a very experienced skydiver already. Okay. But tandem base jumping, you got a person there who flies the parachute for you. 
And so you, you jump off together. So you get to just go along for the ride. Uh. So I went and did that, but the same deal, like, Hey, if I don't ace this, I'm going again. Mm. And so my thing was, I have to be totally willing that in the future, if someone said, Hey, you want to do that again? I'm like, sure. No problems. Uh, yeah. Let's do it. Bunch of jumping, tandem base jumping. Then I went wing walking up in Squim, north of Seattle, basically in, in okay. Washington state, where you go up in a little plane and then you climb on top of the plane, you put a little seatbelt on and then they do acrobatics they do stunts while you're standing on top of the the plane are you serious (laughs) i didn't see this one (laughs) (laughs) and so like that's super super cool thing to do and then you come down and you go out on the wing and you hold onto a broomstick you're between the two wings on the little plane you hold onto a little broomstick and they do all the stunts uh, again and that's super amazing like that is some incredible next level but again for me it was i want to do this but i don't want to do this in an adrenaline state yeah i want to do it like it's a tuesday right like yeah i'm i'm doing a cool thing but i can do this tomorrow and the next day and the next day like you want to make this my job i'm totally fine with it and that's the attitude so after bungee jumping base jumping and wing walking I had to consider, okay, am I done here or is there more to explore in my year of fear? And I started to go, well, if I was really, really, really doing a year of fear, what would I do? And I'm like, I've always hated running. And I had all these sayings and all all of these beliefs, like I'm not a runner, I hate running. I'm a sea creature. I'm not a land animal. Like I had these ways of excusing it, but I realized that I was avoiding that and that it was outside my comfort zone. And so I was like, well, gosh darn it. I got to sign myself up for a marathon. And then there's an unfortunate coincidence, which is that I'm turning 42 in March. Uh So running 42 kilometers, 26.2 miles on my 42nd birthday. Oh, wow. It just, it had a ring to it. And I'm yeah. like, ah. <laughs> so I locked myself in by telling people who would never let me live it down if I backed out. And you've always, <laughs> you've, got to, you've got to have a couple of those people in your yeah. life. I locked myself in. I started running. But the juicy bit that you want to get to is the first thing I did was like, well, I can't run with this belief I hate running. Yeah, That's got to go. And so the first thing I did, because I I know these neuro-linguistic programming tools, is I went inside and I snipped that wire. Mm -hmm. Here's what's crazy. You know, in the 40 years previous, I didn't snip that wire. Why? Because when you don't approach the edge of your comfort zone, it's not there. It's not snippable because it's hidden from view. You repress it. It takes signing up for the marathon for that belief to come up enough for you to have the tools there to be able to snip that that yeah. wire. So I signed myself up, I locked myself in, then I can change the belief. There's a lot of people that are like, oh, I'll do things when I feel good about it. Mm. No, that's backwards. You have to sign yourself up while you feel shitty about it. Then you have access to change. This is so profound. Yes. You can't that. you can't be going, hey, when I feel a little bit more confident, then I'll start making presentations. No, fuck you. That's not how it works. Right. I wish it was. Wouldn't right. that be lovely if we could just go through life and, and when I feel confident, then I'll start doing this. I'm sorry. Backwards. Like, yeah. uh, I, wish, I wish it worked like that, but it right. doesn't. You've got to put something in first. Get in the game. Out. Put yourself you've out. Got to, yeah. You've got to make the first move. Yeah. So I changed. I hate running to, um, I think I changed it first to, I'm going to enjoy running. And then I changed it to like, I'm going to, I'm going to find out how to fall in love with running. So I didn't even make a huge, huge change. I didn't try and change it instantly to, I love running because there's every chance I go for a run the next day. And that, you know, your body's like bullshit. I hate running. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And I didn't want that. Not a problem because then I just have to go in again and make another change. Right. But I wanted to put it the way that uh, I wanted it to go, nice yeah. and smooth. 
Yeah. And so then with this willingness Mm -hmm. to embrace running, I went on a couple of walk runs. Mm -hmm. You just like you walk a bit, you run a bit, and you're like, hey, this isn't actually that bad. And then can you see that was in line with my new belief? But then like a week later, I was ready and I changed, I made a full changeover to the belief I am a runner. Mm. And that belief is the best one ever. Because Mm. what does a runner do? Well, a runner travels to a new city. First thing they do, strap on their shoes. Let's explore the city. Let's go for a run, Mm. right? A runner wakes up. Oh, it's Wednesday. Let's go for a a run. A runner does running things. And so it only took a week to go from I hate running to the full embrace of I am a runner. Mm -hmm. And then everything just took off from there. And I'm really lucky. I have coached a lot of runners, particularly long distance running. Mm -hmm. So I already had an insight into what, like how to to do it. Yeah. Uh, But of course I'd never done it for for myself. And so I started to explore and just do things and, and build it. And eight weeks later, I did my first half marathon. And I thought that was pretty cool. And it was not fast. It was not spectacular. There's nothing to write home about it, except that, yeah, I'm a runner now. Uh, So what do you do? Well, running things. I'm about to go to Egypt and Jordan for almost a month. I'm packing running shoes Um, so that I can go running every second day because that's what runners do. mm -hmm. So you can see just by finding the wire, snipping it, and putting in a new wire, everything changes, except you can't do that without the lock-in and getting outside your comfort zone because otherwise you don't have access to it. Yeah. This is so good. So for you, someone who's a little more advanced, a little more insightful and aware of kind of what programs are running and how to make these changes and change your beliefs so that you can do this. You did this, in my opinion, and probably to a lot of the women listening, a very short time, okay? Like one week to go from I'm not a runner, I hate running to I am a runner and I enjoy running. To most people, that would be like, that's so quick. So to break well, it remember down our, for... our levels though. Yeah, level yeah. one of the scary and exciting is lock yourself in mm-hmm. and then just start, start chipping away at that wall. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're right. It takes a little bit longer because you have to do some walk runs and you keep going and chipping away. And yeah, maybe it's a, a couple of months, but it's not, it's not like two years. Yeah. It's still a very short period in the grand of time scheme, yeah. in the grand scheme of things. But yes, it is much more elegant if you've got the tools mm-hmm. or you know someone who's got the tools to, yes. to be able to make that that change. Yeah. It's much more elegant to, to make it because all I had to deal with was the changes in my body. Okay. I didn't have to deal with hitting up against the mindset or yeah the the mindset bits of running which is pretty tough you know okay so (laughs) but how do you change your beliefs like someone who's like no I literally don't believe that I want to believe that but when I'm doing it my body is like no I don't believe that my mind I feel like I'm lying to myself how do you actually make those belief changes I know it's in increments but can you kind of break that down Yeah. Again, we'll talk on these two layers. Okay. Okay. So if you're listening and you're committed and you want to do this yourself, you're like, I'm going to hit up my scary and exciting list. Mm -hmm. I'm going to lock things in and then I'm just going to go for it. Mm -hmm. Then you want to, as you lock it in, immediately you'll become aware of your limiting beliefs, right? And you want to capture them all and write them all down. Okay. Right. Write all of them down. They're like, I'm not a runner. I hate running. For me, it was I'm more of a sea creature because I loved swimming and grew up doing that. So write all the beliefs down. And then you start just getting curious. Mm. Where did this even come from? Mm. And is this even true? And thirdly, well, is there any circumstances where this is actually not true? And you start to find these little gaps in the beliefs and that helps you chip away and it helps you break that 
old mold open, okay? Sun, and so if you were a person that hated running and wanted to, to not, you sign yourself up. And maybe, by the way, you don't have to sign up for a marathon. You can sign yourself up for a, a fun run, like a, a 5K, which is three miles. It doesn't even have to be like an event, just mm-hmm. something that's distinct that you're locked uh, into. Yeah. And you, you, you'll notice how many people try to lock something in, like I'm going to get in bikini shape this Compet- summer. Yeah. Right. And the reason that sucks is it's too flowery around the edges because yeah. there's no defined, like if you sign up for a 5K, there's a date that you have yeah. to be ready for, right? Bikini body by summer, it's just a little bit loose, right? Yeah. Like well, where does summer actually What defines it, yeah. And what defines it? And so I'm not saying, because I, I hate the people that say, oh, you need clear goals all the time. Because that's <laughs> I say <not> that. <laughs> It has its place, but it's not always true because you've done things without clear goals. Yeah. Uh, you, you've achieved I think you need a direction in- though. Yes, but you can get that di- direction by putting the clarity somewhere else. Okay. So for example, like in the clear goals version of life, the Arnold Schwarzenegger thing, you're a teenager in Austria and you're like, step one, I'm going to become a bodybuilder. I'm going to move to America. I'm going to win Mr. Olympia and yeah. uh, become Mr. Universe. Then I'm going to become a movie star. Like that level of clarity belongs to only that guy. Right, right. right. No one else is having visions. Him and Joan of Arc, right, Yeah, uh, had this vision. Oh, here's exactly how my life is going to go. But we can get clarity from other places. So you don't need to go... I want to get this job with this job title, with this salary, with this right. company in this city by this date. That's right. how clarity is normally taught. But you can get clarity by saying, I want to work with good people. Mm-hmm. I want to feel like I'm part of yes. a team. I want to experience a new culture. Yes. I want to learn some new things. And I want to be inspired by my work. Now, yes. that is a different type of clarity. But notice that you could find that in almost any profession. Right, right. Almost any job opportunity and almost any country. So the world opens up off that type of clarity, doesn't close it down to a singular thing. 100%. We just need something that locks you in. And I don't mind what it is for each person. Like for me, for running, it seemed obvious that just to pick an event in the future. Okay. You lock it in, all your beliefs come up, but then for you, if this was your example, and you were the person who was like, I hate running, then you'd be there like, oh boy. And you'd start to go through those questions I was talking about. Like, wait, is this even true? And are there any circumstances where this is not true? And you'd be there running around after your son in the backyard Right. And you're like, wait, I love running around after my kid. Yeah. And you can see that the belief has already started to break open a little okay. bit there. But there's also a pathway there. Yeah. Because you don't have to be all serious and like, right, $200 joggers, right. new beats, headphones, butterfly playlist, this vision of what you have to do. And you have to go out and pound the pain, pavement and have running hurt. But yeah. like when you're doing it, you start to chip it open. You're like, wait, what if we just go to the park and run around? Yeah. And suddenly you don't hate running anymore and you've broken that old belief. And that belief could be 20 or 30 years old. Yes. And you broke it just by asking these little questions. Now, what this is called is reframing, yeah. but you don't need a fancy name for it. Right. You can just start to break it open. But notice again, it's very difficult to break that open without that lock-in point because it's not every single day that you're going to be stoked. Right, like, right. <laughs> probably most days that you're not going to be stoked if you've never I, been stoked about it. Yeah, yesterday I, I went for a run and I definitely did not want to go. Like it, it was cold and rainy and yeah. I was like, I don't want to go. But then it was like, well, you're a runner. That's what runners do. 
And I'm like, ah, you got me. And so <laughs> I put my shoes on. I was like, let's just go out and see where I'm at t- today. Yeah. Right. And I, I'm doing back to back 400 meter sprints was what was on the program. Right. <laughs> okay. and so 10, 400 meter sprints with a, a minute 45 in between is sort of where I'm up to in my training. Okay. Although that, that now needs to extend out in some way I'll do yeah. next time. I'll either do more sets or, or go a little bit further. And I didn't want to be there. And the first one I did, it sucked. The, mm-hmm. the time sucked. And I was like, I don't even know if I'm going to make it to 10 today. And that's okay. And then I go through and the one that uh, was the worst was number seven. And then number 10, I ran a PB. You guys call it a PR. So I ran my fastest Personal ever. record, personal best. Okay. Yeah. I ran my fastest ever 400 time on the day that I definitely didn't want to be out there on the 10th repeat. Yeah. And now if I was still... I hate running. If I still had that belief, I just wouldn't have gone. Right. The whole show is over. So this right. is the power of being able to change the beliefs because, right. as I said, I'm now, I am a runner. So it's like, I don't feel like running today. And my body's like, well, that's kind of what you do. And I'm like, oh, yeah, all right. And I didn't even question. Like I'm walking down the driveway with my watch about to hit start for the program that that's been programmed into it and I'm like I can't believe that I'm about to and I just press the start button before my body even catches up like uh, what are you doing I'm like I'm running let's yeah. go yeah and so you can break it down by yourself now my preference is you get yourself a coach who knows how to change beliefs and Agreed. you work with that person <laughs> it's faster it's more elegant but you're not going to necessarily do that with every single thing in your life. So I think you want to know how to do both. Okay. Yeah. And then, so just to continue on that, you've written your limiting beliefs down yes. and you've started to ask these three questions to, to break them open. Now let's start to explore and ask, well, what belief would I like to have? What belief would facilitate me doing this? Yes. Right. And you notice that for something like running, There's more useful beliefs and less useful beliefs. A more useful belief is I'm a runner and even I love running or I enjoy getting out there. A less useful belief is something that opens things up, but then restrictive Uh, again, like I'm a fast runner. Mm, Can you see that that like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. That'd be cool belief. Like, Hey, I'm really fast. It's also kind of restrictive in its own way because it means on a day you're not feeling fast, you might not go out. Right, right. Right. And so we want these beliefs to all be pointed in a direction there. I like that. So you start to think what beliefs would be useful to this. And you can even start to model this off people that are good at it. What's funny is people always say, oh, model the greats. Like if you want to get good at tennis, model the greatest uh, tennis players. Sure, there is something useful about uh, doing that. Except you could see that we could turn tennis into a chore because the great tennis players, it's also their job. And And also they're 50 steps ahead in their involvement than where you're at. Maybe maybe you want to just ease that back a bit and choose someone that's good at tennis that's just stoked on it. You don't need to choose from the highest level because sometimes there's, like I said, there's beliefs in there that are pretty cool. but are also restrictive in a way. For example, if we just model, so I've worked with the Red Bull athletes over at their headquarters in Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. and we did all sorts of cool emotional work and mindset work with these peak performance athletes, and all of them were extreme, like doing crazy things. And I think that's super cool, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to go borrow my mindset from them because – they're at the absolute pinnacle, pushing the, the boundaries of what's humanly possible. Yeah. There's also a restriction there because they need to be the best, have to do yeah. the next, have to push the pace. And that's not going to be useful to me. Let's say I want to get into riding a dirt bike, which is my challenge for next year. Okay. And it's also on the year of fear. I'll be watching and, that. <laughs> yeah. So I locked myself in. I've signed up to a week-long 
like you go from Cairns to Cape York. It's just short of a thousand miles on a dirt bike in the extreme wilderness, like okay. uh, the very top of Australia. So I signed myself up for that. Now I have to go get a dirt bike and, and yeah. learn how to ride it. But you can see that it might not be useful for me to go to the guys that I know mm-hmm. that are extreme sports extreme, people yeah. because I want to actually learn something different. For me, I want it to be fun and their version of fun is being the best and that's pushing the pace. Yeah. And so I might want to ease off my role models just a little bit. Yeah. Now, if I want to learn a trick, then yeah, I can role model from the best of the best to get the trick exactly right. But if we're talking about broad beliefs, then maybe I want to choose someone just a little bit down yeah. because I don't need to be the world's best, most extreme dirt bike rider, but I do need to be competent and safe and get out there so that I can yeah. have fun with my friends on this epic trip that we've got planned there. And you can see that then, okay, I can pick my role models for people who are really good, smooth, powerful riders, and I can adopt my beliefs from there. Okay, what I'm hearing with this is it's less about having defined tangible goals or beliefs even or things that you want to aspire to. And it's more so about those intangibles. Like, how do you want to feel? What direction do you want to go in? Kind of the way you explained with the job. And sometimes your vision is going to evolve as you evolve and as you learn more and as you expand more and your potential grows. So I really like that. It's about following a direction and kind of the intangible is like, how do you want to feel? Who do you want to be around? What kind of lifestyle maybe do you want to have? Yeah. Yeah. Now we have to add a piece in here, a caveat on, okay. on this, which is, and this is called your hinging points, which you know about, but yes. maybe other people haven't uh, heard yeah. about. If you are the type of person that is extremely driven by having those super clear goals, Mm -hmm. then go ahead, be my guest. Yes. Right. If that is useful to you, but that is less than 20% of people. It's Mm -hmm. around about 10% of people when they write out that goal, like it is this date and I'm doing this in this way that works for about 10% of the the people. Whereas most of the, the rest of us work in some other way. So if you're the clear goal person like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Go for it. And in fact, fully embrace that way of doing things. But everyone else is off the hook for yeah. knowing the, the future. Right. For me, the way I think about it, because I'm not a clear goals person. Okay. I'm a like, let's get this vaguely right. Because okay. I just want to do cool things. And I want to have a, a rich experience of yeah. this lifetime. It doesn't matter to me if I go riding dirt bikes up the north of Australia or if it's some other adventure, but the heading is adventure. Yeah. I don't care which form it comes in. So you can see I'm getting my clarity from the qualities of it, not the goal itself. I do think most can relate. Yeah. So if we go through, let's just do a quick tour because some people are very driven by their why Mm -hmm. and that's cool, but that is 5% of the population. Mm -hmm. So if, if your why is super important to you, Mm-hmm. Go for it. Do okay. that. But just know that 95% of people are not driven by some like why Deeper or why. Okay. Exactly. Okay. There's some people that are purpose driven. If you're purpose driven, tap into that. Yeah. Right. But again, that's going to be five to ten percent of the, the population. Yeah. And there is some crossover with purpose driven people and, and why driven uh people. Right. Uh, if you're purpose-driven, find your purpose, stick on yeah. it. But the rest of the world, you're off the hook. You don't need to know your purpose. I'm not a purpose-driven person. I'm a drag and drop. Like, put me anywhere, and I'm like, hey, what are we doing today? And I just want to be about it. I don't think I've right? ever heard that way of saying it, a drag and drop. <laughs> a lot of people are drag and drop because they just want to be part of something. Yeah. Like, my dad, he just wants to be involved in stuff. And so... He doesn't need to go, oh, I want to achieve this or do this. He Uh just needs to put himself in situations where he can be involved, Mm -hmm. healthy situations where he can be involved in stuff, Mm -hmm. and he will thrive. 
but you can see that the Y-driven person will not thrive in that scenario because they're like, hey, what's the point of this? (laughs) I I feel like that's me. (laughs) What's the point? every, Every single person needs to know exactly how they're put together. But now not everyone's built the same by design in our society. We need someone who cares about other people. And then we need someone that only cares about themselves. Mm. Both people are useful in a society. I think it's obvious how a person who cares about other people is useful. But the person who only cares about themselves, they go and do shit that's outside of the old boundaries because mm. they're, they're like i don't care what anyone else thinks that's I'm a really doing good this. way to look and at, that's yeah those people are assholes but they also <laughs> break us out of the old mold and take us forwards what it comes down to is knowing yourself like you said knowing your hinging points or another word for that is what makes you tick what moves yep. you what drives you and, and then applying yep. that to it so i really like yep, that absolutely Okay. Well, before we dive into the last few questions, where can people find you on social media? How can they work with you, get into your world, all that stuff? Yeah. So I am on Instagram at scary and exciting. Mm -hmm. And in my perfect world, I wouldn't be on social media at all, but that is my single touch point there where people can find me. There's also scaryandexciting.com. The website is just where people can touch base there. So if you're after some sort of active interaction, then yeah, Instagram is the go at scary and exciting. Awesome. And I've done your NLP program. So anybody who's even thinking about that, I will tell you 100%, stop thinking about it, do it, sign up for it. Even if you don't want to coach others, if you just want to learn how to do this with yourself and just become aware and insightful, this is honestly what kicked off. I mean, I started my personal development journey by going to therapy and that got me to a certain point. But as we kind of touched on earlier, it's like, it's only surface level. You kind of start to gain a little bit of awareness, but you're not actually snipping any wires or changing anything with therapy unless you do a little bit more holistic. But yeah, so if that's something that is intriguing to you, 100% go for it. I give my stamp of approval, if that means anything. <laughs> let's do something cool. Let, let's give a, a special uh, discount to your people. We'll make up a, a link just for your crew. Yeah, and, that's uh, awesome. And put that out. That sounds really awesome. So we'll get you the details for that soon. And I'll include all that in the show notes as well. Okay. But let's dive into our last few questions. So when it comes to any goal that we want to achieve, anybody that has a goal out there in any area of their life, what is the best way to go about or kind of set themselves up to be successful or make progress on that goal? So we need to find a lock-in point that actually works for that person. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you have signed up to the gym before and then not gone to the gym, like signing up to another gym is not the lock-in point we're looking for. It needs to actually work. It needs to be real and, and substantial for that person. So there's a whole class there on how to lock yourself in. But for the moment, anyone that's listening, can probably figure out like, oh yeah, I have always been leaving myself some wiggle room and not actually locking in my goals, Mm. but I do know that I can lock it in like this, right? Then we're straight into hinging points, which we've been touching on a little bit. Your hinging points are the little things that make you work. And for, for some people, if they get a good sleep and eat the right food, they are bulletproof they're good to go they can handle anything the world throws at them that day but there's other people that can't seem to move a muscle unless there's pressure on Mm. the situation and there's other people that need it to be a competition and if it's a competition they fire on all cylinders no competition they sort of fall uh, away and and nothing happens so knowing what your hinging points are is critical So the way that you define your hinging points is under what circumstances do you thrive? Does everything turn on and you can turn up for for everything? And then in the absence of that, the wheels would fall off your bus. For some people, they're like, if I get a great sleep and the the right food, I am good to go. I'm sorted. (laughs) For me, my hinging points are pressure and helping people. If I'm trying to do something for myself, 
just it doesn't work. Mm, like, okay. but the second you put pressure in, boom, I'm firing on all cylinders, and okay. I will turn up to to help people okay. every single time. Fire, firing on all all cylinders. Yeah. For someone else, uh, their hinging point might be structure or having a plan or knowing what to to do. Some people's hinging point is their why or their purpose or having a vision of where yeah. they're they're going. If your hinging point is having a purpose, then head down that channel. If it's not, then you don't need to head down that that channel. Okay. The worst thing I've seen is people who are not purpose-driven going into these seminars and courses and spending 10 years searching for a purpose that mm. they don't have. Like that's, yes. that's cruel and unusual punishment. <laughs> and all these people searching for their big why when that's not how they're put to, together. Yeah. Like that can be incredibly damaging. And so we don't want to do that. We just want to simply go, well, what's mine? So I'll always turn up under pressure and for helping people. So if I'm having a day where I'm like doing nothing and I really wanted to get stuff done, I don't beat myself up and I don't go, oh, what's my purpose or what's my why? I go, ah, how can I pressurize this or how can I turn this into helping someone else mm -hmm. and then bang it's game on uh, again and you're starting to get some really good insight into what your hinging points are yeah. and so we just want to point you down that channel that's your magic portal and if you can set that up and make your hinging points sacred then we've got movement every single day to yeah. towards your goals yeah that's such a good answer peter you have helped me evolve in my mindset in so many ways. And every time I think I'm doing good <laughs> and I am doing good, but every time I think I've hit a new level of insight and awareness, you say something or you put in one of your emails, something that opens my mind up to another level and makes me question, which I like. I really like that uh, because I am open to to being wrong and, and to learning a, a, a new way, a bigger perspective, a broader perspective. So I really love that. And I appreciate that. My last two questions are my fun questions. I ask everyone who comes onto the show. This is the Bold and Badass podcast. It's for women on a personal growth journey and really learning how to step into and embody the most bold and badass version of themselves. So these are going to be a little bit personal to you, but the first one is yeah. what is the most bold and badass thing that you've done in your life recently? Uh, recently? Yeah. Well, you've got it from this year. Bungee <laughs> jumping, tandem base jumping, Hell yeah. wing walking. <laughs> And then my finishing move for the year of fear, signing up for a marathon. So for me, it's getting out and running and I'm loving it. Like that is yeah. the most bold, badass bit Absolutely. of my world at the moment. Just, and, and while I'm running, I'm, I'm there like, is this even real? Is this even <laughs> me? It's, it's, it's so incredible. Cool. I love it. Yes. I love that. Okay. And then the last question is a little bit of future pacing. So I want you to imagine you're on your deathbed, you're reflecting mm. back over your life. What is the most bold and badass thing that you did in this lifetime? And it could be something that you've already done, or it could be something that you're still dreaming about or creating anything. Yeah. Well, as a bit of a fan of stoic philosophy, and you could throw in a tiny bit of Buddhism in there as as well. I consider my death daily. Like it is part of the setup. I could die today. And for Stoic philosophy, you basically wake up and imagine all of the worst things that could happen. Like your mom gets hit by a bus today. Like yeah, this happens, this happens, this happens. Yeah. And you face the worst things as your first thing. And it opens everything up. So for me, this is a, an almost daily consideration. And I think that the boldest bit is loving every bit of the journey, mm. not seeing one thing as a highlight and another thing as a low light. Yeah. For me, if I spent an entire day or a month on the couch watching Netflix, that was as valid and as rich an experience as something that other people deem as cool. And for me, it's soaking up, like not wishing that I was a different person at each yeah. stage, but instead going, huh, 
that's where I was up to. That's so yeah. cool. Oh, that's yeah. so interesting. That's yeah. so enriching. And so for me, you'll notice that I've got an answer for the boldest thing I've done this year because that's the growth. Right, right. But as, but as I go out to the end of my life looking yeah. back, there isn't a boldest move. Everything is. Ooh. Every moment, like what people consider the worst moments are as valid a life yeah. experience as the the best things. So yeah. I don't have a highlights reel okay. on my deathbed. The whole thing is. This is so powerful. Like the just embracing, like you said, embracing yeah. the full journey, the full picture. You know, like people are obsessed with trying to be happy. And if you ask me on my deathbed, uh, in, in this version of it, yeah. I'm like, why is being happy more valid and experienced than being sad? You you came here to experience. You didn't come here to experience happiness, right? You came here to experience. And, and so you get all of these different moments. And so if someone is having the worst day of their life right now, I don't judge that as being better or worse than any yeah. other day uh, that they have. Yeah. That's just where they're at today. Yeah, we can change it. Yeah, uh, and we can change you it in, in yeah. a very powerful way. But we're not changing it because it's bad. We're changing yeah. it to have that experience. Yeah. So, um, yeah, on the deathbed, I don't have a boldest moment. Everything is wonderful and valid, yeah. and the pain is as much a highlight as the euphoria. I love that answer so much. And I know that a lot of these conversations within this big conversation, we could have taken a whole nother direction and, and gone deep on all of these topics individually. But I think this was a really beautiful conversation. And I, again, I really appreciate you being here for this. I'm so grateful. And I loved it. <laughs> Thank you. I love you. I love what you're doing. I love your Thank family. You. And you. big love from me to everyone who's listening. Yes. And just keep trucking along. Yes. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here. And queen, give yourself a high five for showing up and committing to be the best version of yourself for you and your people. You are such a badass for that. If you got anything good from this episode, would you send the love back by DMing me on Instagram at boldly lacy, letting me know exactly which part resonated with you? These types of messages empower me to keep showing up, and they also help me understand the types of conversations you really care about. All right, bestie, we'll talk again soon, but for now, it's time for you to step up and start being the badass that we both know you are. 